So hello everyone, welcome to podcast 23, Making Sense of Positive Psychology. So um, positive psychology is a really big um, field, so lots to talk about, but first I want to introduce the team. So I'm Magano, our newest recruit, but um, if everyone wants to say hello and introduce yourself. Hello! It's Bex, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Heather here. Hi, it's Tonya. Hi, it's Antonia. Hello, hello, it's Bob. Ah, oh, perfect. So we're all here today. Um, yeah, so should we make a start? So positive psychology, what is it? It's a big top topic. Maybe we should just start with positive. So what is happiness? What is well-being to people? What does that mean to people? I, I don't know specifically what happiness is. I mean, I think it changes what, what we want and what makes us happy you know does change definitely from from a few years ago to what it does now and I think now I can get happiness from like the real simplest of things you know like beautiful sky or or a really nice cup of tea just to be kind of like grab those moments that are you know in the present I guess and being more aware of things in the present that make me happy um which I know this is a big change from from how I used to be, and what I used to, <clears throat> and what I used to think would makes me happy would make me happy, and and generally didn't. <laughs> I think you've already kind of um, honed in in one of the techniques to improve happiness, so being in the present. So that yeah, it's definitely one way of being happy: being in the present, being mindful. Anyone else got any ideas of what happiness is or what it means for them? Oh, I've got a model. You know, I. I I was just absolutely, you know, when you originally asked the question, I was thinking, oh, I don't know, that's so big. I don't know. And Heather, Heather just nailed it, man, nailed it, because it, it does, it changes. And it changes um, in terms of your values and like, you know, what you believe in and how you kind of move through life. And so um, I think I was always trying to achieve happiness when I was younger. Maybe um, it was a bit of a I don't know, abstract concept happiness. I don't really know what it meant. It felt very kind of like this pressurized thing you had to achieve. And um, yeah, then as you grow up, your values change or what it is you need in life changes. Um, And so it's much more easy to sort of connect to an idea. I think instead of the word happiness, I like the word calm. I like the word inner inner calm and inner peace. Yeah, that's kind of makes sense to me. I saw you were just about to say something, Bob, before I interrupted Ruby. Yeah, well, kind of similar. So I was thinking about like, yeah, like more about contentment. I was thinking about inner contentment and I guess that's also kind of well-being. And then I was thinking like, in some ways for me, I think happiness is the absence of worry. It's kind of the absence of things. It's like the absence of worry or the absence of... um I don't know, kind of like ruminating on the past and things like that. And I was just thinking about this morning when I was doing yoga, I just was so happy. I was really loving it. It felt really good. The sun was coming in. You know, I kind of felt, I don't know if that's necessarily happiness, but it felt amazing. And I felt like in those moments, there wasn't stress and there wasn't worry and there wasn't, um, yeah. And, you know, I I don't, it's not realistic to think that those things won't be there because I think life very much consists of that stuff but I feel like um yeah maybe happiness are those moments where those things don't exist yes like your serenity just peacefulness yeah so Martin Silgerman who is like the godfather of positive psychology and happiness has has an explanation for what happiness is Mm -hmm. so did you just say pod father godfather basically like he's a really great he's the top pod pod, i love that (laughs) i hope i can be a pod father one day (laughs) he's super famous (laughs) um so he said there's this thing called perma so perma is abbreviation so the first thing is positivity so you need to be mindful and try and be positive and smile. So this is quite, yeah, you have to try and be as, it's it's the most common sense of happiness. It's what you were talking about, Heather. So being in the present, noticing like the 
nice cup of tea you have. Um, it's the most simple type of happiness. And he says that actually not everyone is happy in this way. So not everyone is cheery and notices the positive things, but actually some people are just born happy and some people are born a bit grumpy. He's wait, wait, can I just ask, does, does he actually say that that stuff is kind of genetically determined? Mm -hmm. I was listening to something the other day and again, this guy was just saying like, oh, I'm grumpy and I was born grumpy. And I was thinking like, God, that's such a kind of deterministic way of looking at things. Like, does that mean they can't change? And does that they mean- can, They can change. I think it's what he has um, a set of techniques he uses to improve this type of happiness but yeah we're kind of some people are born grumpy some people are born really happy and he uses this example of this curve so it's an inverted u so upside down u and so most people are kind of average but you have a few people that are super super merry and a few people that are well super grumpy but i guess that's what makes the world interesting right or heifer who's just permanently sarcastic <laughs> well don't know about that where does she fit on that scale? Well, that's a question for the team, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm new, I can't say anything. <laughs> well, sarcasm makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. At people's expense. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so we can force this kind of happiness. So we can make ourselves kind of feel mindful and content. And we can do this by forcing ourselves to smile more often. And they also found that research found that actually people that have had a Botox injection that can't frown tend to be happier. Well, wow. <laughs> that's not true. That can't be true. That's what my research found. But 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 I've also read that people who have Botox can't read other people's expressions as well because we have those mirror neurons. And so like there are these kind of little micro changes in our own faces when we're reading the emotions of another person. And they showed that people who've got like a lot of Botox, those mirror neurons don't really function because the muscles of the face don't move. And so they yeah. have more trouble. It's amazing, isn't it? They have more trouble reading the kind of more nuanced expressions of others. Mm. Oh, yeah. so before you go out to rush and go and get some Botox. <laughs> <laughs> Think it's more complicated than we might think yeah okay I was going to say something as well because I'm kind of slightly skeptical about this idea of like oh you just you know have to smile more and you feel happier because I feel like you know if you've just had you know you know at a very kind of basic level if you've got lots of reasons to be unhappy then it's really hard to smile or it's really hard to kind of smile in a kind of genuine way. Mm. But I do remember there was, a, there was a study that was done a while back and it kind of relates to something we joke about on our courses where we have this kind of slightly jokey saying, it sounds really cheesy, but you know, we kind of say sometimes like, oh, when you're laughing, you're learning because you're in a more relaxed state and you're more likely to kind of have like things into your brain when you're, when you're relaxed. And there was a study that showed that if you put, I think they had like two groups of people doing really complicated maths problems. And one group, they made them put like a pencil in their mouths and hold the pencil in their mouths for the whole exercise so that it kind of literally like, I'm kind of do it now. <laughs> it kind of forced a smile. And they showed that the people in that group who's kind of like their facial muscles were forced into this smile did way better than the people who weren't forced to smile. It's just interesting. I'm not kind of reading anything into that, wow. but just this idea of, you know, when you're laughing, you're learning, or when you're kind of smiling, something maybe changes, has, has a change in your brain chemistry and kind of internal world. Mm. I think it's going into like the body-mind um, connection, isn't it? Like, you know, the body's smiling, so the mind is feeling a bit happier. Maybe that's the connection. Mm -hmm. So the next thing Martin talks about is engagement. So this is... Um, making time for, to do things that you love. So this is another way of being happy. And he explains that you need to try and do as many new things as possible. Or try to do new things because this makes us happier. So learning a new skill, I don't know, going, walking a new route um, back home. I wondered if, during lockdown if any of you guys had learned any new skills or done anything new. I have, and I have been able to because I'm in quite a reasonably settled place in life. Um, 
And so, you know, there are certain things that I've definitely taken up and I've been able to kind of um, make progress with them quite quickly. And I think it's because I have things like quite stable housing. I have quite a good um, broad um, knowledge of what interests me. Um, And that's a really interesting question you ask, because I remember when I even even, you know, before coming into recovery, I don't think I, I. I knew what I liked. I knew there was stuff out there I, I, I loved doing, but I don't think I really knew who I particularly was or had the brain space to make space to find hobbies. Like it felt really, um, it, yeah, it kind of felt um, like that That was for other people for some reason. And so it's really interesting that, that yes, I think, you know, actually finding what it is that you love doing just in terms of hobbies um, is really, really important, but the journey to get there can be a difficult one. Do you know what I mean? Is it, am I making sense of that? Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. I've never had hobbies and I've, found it, I've never found I've had time for hobbies. I probably have got the time, but I always think I haven't. But in lockdown, I did do knitting and um, it made me actually feel really happy now that we're talking about happiness. And I couldn't actually knit anything just knit and knit and it just made me really happy to feel it and touch it and look at it and yeah just do it as a scarf and a blanket you know but that made me actually really happy inside and it's just a little thing and I love buying wool now oh you'll have to make the teens with scarves I'm joking <laughs> um, scarves. um but I guess in psychology for change and feminism for change, we also learn lots of new concepts and um, the newness and the learning um, can increase self-awareness, but it also increases contentment, not well, not happiness, but maybe contentment and well-being because you're learning new concepts. I was going to say it can be quite exciting learning all the different concepts in feminism and empowering. It's scary as well, though, um, just even taking part in something new, like a new course, or if you have to go to like a new club to start the hobby, like going there, you're really nervous, like, are you going to like it? Who's going to be there? Whenever I've done something like that, the happiness comes after that I've achieved it. So when you're processing that day in the evening, you're like, I can't believe I did that. And you feel really good. But at the time, I'm scared shitless. Yeah. It's it, it's really interesting because that's exactly um, what um, we kind of train on on our courses. Is it's kind of you know stripping back um, layers that have kind of like not been looked at before. So whether it be things about you know um, your childhood or kind of like the way you communicate with others, like you know it helps you sort of understand who you are more so I'm sort of going back to this kind of idea of when you know who you are things are relatively easy in life but but when you don't the pressure of trying to find like you know hobbies or enjoyments are like it's it's so difficult it's it's so hard to choose things that you want to do when you you don't know who you are and so you're right Magana it feels like the content on feminism for change and psychology for change um is about sort of uh, yeah, peeling back those layers and sort of, you know, finding kind of, you know, those answers um, to questions that, you know, you didn't actually even know were questions that you needed um, needed solved. So it's kind of like, it's, you know, we have the building blocks um, as a logo for our website, um, kind of bricks, layers of bricks, and it's like the foundations. And hence the name Foundation for Change, everyone. Ta-da! Um, but it is kind of, you know, I think I can talk myself really, really personally about this, that actually those blocks um, were starting to be built <laughs> um, on those courses um, to find a bit of more of a solid sense of who I was. So I was able to go out in the world and take up things like painting and, you know, doing a bit of Photoshop and everything. Because, you know, I've, I it, it kind of just gave me a bit of a solid, more idea of who I was, I suppose. I think there's something also about like coming onto a course particularly if you've had like a shit experience of education and stuff and and you come thinking you can't learn or you're stupid or you haven't got a brain and all that stuff and 
And I just think like being on a course and, and when you start to realize that you understand stuff or like, you know, if, if one of the facilitators asks a question, if someone says like, oh, is it this? And it, it is that, like that moment can feel really um, affirming because you realize like you got something and you got it right and it feels good and and you know you realize that actually you, you can learn and you have got a brain and things are really kind of important shift that starts to happen in people's identity where they start to realize that they they're not stupid and they can you know they already know a lot as well not that they have to start from scratch they know a lot and I think all of that is also kind of like reaffirming and I guess I think a lot of it's about self-esteem and I guess there is like obviously a massive connection between self-esteem and happiness but maybe in those kind of like little kind of micro moments there's just these feelings of like yeah I got it like definitely happiness yeah. I think being acknowledged as well like when um you're on a course and someone says oh yeah that's right that's exactly what I mean yeah. it's like you're being it's like you're present at the course like you've been noticed and that you exist and it's for some people that's like it's lovely mm -hmm. it's empowering as well so Martin says the next thing is relationships. So having having good relationships with different people. So he says that happiness is actually a social a social concept. Um, so yeah, I think in the psychology and both the um, feminism for change courses, we have uh, a tutor a trainee group that remains the same, and we also have treaters. So we have positive relationships. Um, so that's how we improve that in, in Foundation for Change. Um, but yeah, there's some really interesting research that's coming out about positive relationships. And apparently um, nurturing, so keeping positive relationships, um, has a more positive effect, three times more positive effect on your health than going to the gym. <laughs> so I don't know if it's just, I don't know if it's a fun pop fact or, but um, apparently keeping good relationships is really important. And then other research says it's not about how many people you know, it's about having a special connection. So just having one special person in your life improves your happiness, your health, and lots of other things. So that's just a... I was going to say, conversely, that's why loneliness and isolation and, you know, everything that has been magnified through the pandemic mm. has the opposite effect. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's also going back um, to what we're doing. The courses is like, you know, it sounds lovely to be able to have those sort of relationships in your life and having that one special person. Like, you know, I think that's the thing is, you know, when I hear something like that, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, that's the one thing that people want is to have friends and have somebody you can confide in. Um, and sometimes if for instance you know when you were younger you didn't have anybody kind of you know to show you kind of how to form those relationships and that was like you know being a parent or caregiver you don't really know how to do it later on in life um and so it's like i i feel that um that's a really lovely statement but you know i suppose somewhat simplistic for people who don't know how to form you know healthy uh, relationships and you know once again I think I remember being on psychology for change and you know it was a transactional analysis which is all you know really about how we communicate with one another um, that's it in essence um, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a framework um, to sort of understand the way kind of you communicate with people and like how do you kind of like have this really like adult kind of conversation with somebody and it's a bit mind-blowing that because these are just things we don't think about and when you well I didn't um but when I finished the course like I was really able to kind of you know be able to communicate and talk with friends in a way that I haven't before and it solidified um friendships which are important and I was able to um kind of cut off friendships which were no longer important important and and destructive um and so yeah i feel like all that kind of groundwork is uh really important to getting to that point where you are able to kind of like create really special friend group uh, friendship groups or whatever relationship groups in your life and i think you raised a really good point and it was quite a simplistic way of looking at things um because yeah there's lots of these four PERMA points are very simple. Um, but in reality, we are humans of complex people. 
and can we really can happiness really be explained or improved by doing these few things um it also sounds a bit like um i've been enjoying how you've been referring to martin as martin (laughs) (laughs) the podfather um I think there's also something about like, I don't know, I, I don't really know his work. And so I don't really know kind of how much depth he goes into, but it feels a little bit like, okay, this nice, it's kind of a bit idealistic, you know, these things, but it's also like, how much does he take into account people's context and their environment? And um, I think Bex, you were saying earlier about, you know, being privileged enough to have a roof over your head and kind of be at a stable point in your life to explore new hobbies and things like that. But, you know, for a lot of people, it's, that's not the case. Mm. Um, so I just kind of wonder how much he takes that stuff into account. He actually does talk about that a bit later on. Um, oh no, I just, I'll talk about it now. So the last point he talks about is accomplishments. So he says that um, accomplishing things, so maybe going for a walk when he said that you're going to go for a walk or, um, making time to do something you said you're going to do is an accomplishment and so when you accomplish something that you feel a bit happier and he explains that the environment that you create is really important to your happiness and your accomplishments so for instance if you say that you're going to you're going to go for a walk you need to make sure that you're up at the right time wearing the right clothes something to go for a walk so he talks about the environment being important. Like, I guess in psychology for change, we talk about the system and how the system's broken. And if you're born into an environment which is not um, complex and really difficult, then it's gonna be hard to make a, a positive environment. It's a lot harder for some people than it is for others. So he does mention that. In terms of accomplishments, he also, well, there's a saying that he's, someone said, referenced him on, and it says, 20 frogs were sitting on a log and 17 decided to jump in. How many were left? Feels like a trick question. (laughs) I can read it again. 20 frogs were sitting on a log and 17 decided to jump in. How many were left? Three. Three, that's one answer. I mean, you're gonna shut them out. I won't. I've only got three. Okay. How many were left? I don't think it's three, it's a trick question. Yeah, I know you've got it. <laughs> so the point is, we can work towards reaching goals, but there's a difference between deciding to do something and actually doing it. So the frogs decided to jump in, but they didn't actually jump in. So I guess it's working towards our accomplishments. We may decide that we want to do something, but we have to actually do it. We have to, if we're going to go for a walk, we have to actually go for that walk. So it's um, like, oh, I, I did think about going to the gym. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm always, I'm always saying that, like, I'm going to go to the gym, but do I actually do it? No. <laughs> Am I the only one who doesn't get it? <laughs> I think so. They decided to jump in. They didn't actually jump in. They said, "I'm going to jump in," but they didn't. Okay. Made that decision, but didn't go through with it. What is the answer actually like? It could be three, or it could be twenty. Hmm. I guess it could, you don't know because they've decided, but they haven't actually done it. So there's no answer. It's a trick question. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was his last point, PERMA. Um, so the A is for accomplishments. Um, and I found a bit of research that says that actually willpower alone doesn't make you do, achieve your accomplishments but it's actually the environment you're in. So 6% of accomplishments are due to working hard and just powering on. But 94% is accredited or is due to your environment. So again, it goes into the the system. So like if the system's broken, Mm. um, it's a lot harder to achieve your accomplishment. Does that make any sense? Yeah, like willpower is all, always checked at people um, with addiction, like you don't have the willpower to stop. And even when, you know, people have quit, they're like, oh, it's, you've got really strong willpower to be able to like stop drinking or stop taking that drug when actually it really sucks because you've just lost the thing that was helping you cope with your shit life. Mm-hmm. It's not a good thing, willpower sometimes, it's painful. Yeah. It's all about changing, getting that right environment for you. Just think about stopping smoking. I must have to move the kids out then. If it's not in, I must have the kids while I'm smoking. 
I think you can also be made to feel shit about yourself if you haven't accomplished the thing that you're trying to do because the blame is just placed on the individual mm. again so it's just like you you haven't got enough willpower and you know it's just again it's so, it's so simplistic it doesn't take into account so many things not even context is one and environment is on but yeah there was just so much um in a person's makeup and in a person's past experiences that count for so much when it comes to like trying to change a behavior so true yeah only six percent is willpower so yeah a bit of a shocking statistic or not so shocking further for some people and then the last point he talks about is meaning so perma the m is for meaning so um it makes us happy to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves and have purpose in our life. Um, whether that be kind of going to work or volunteering or just having something that you're working towards. But I think this goes to what you were saying, Bex, that it's only for certain sorts of people. So I guess you think about the purpose in your life once you've had everything else in place. Um, I think you're right, you know, that's it. It's like um, having the other things on in place um, in order to kind of find meaning. And it's like, you know, for instance, finding the right environment in order to pursue like dreams or passions. If you can't do that because you're stuck in like a B&B and there's no housing stock, so you can't find any stability from, you know, where you know a nice safe base in order to you know pursue certain passions like you know it's bob's top five models isn't it maslow maslow we'll do another podcast top two. oh is it top two top two top two is it one or two <laughs> maybe join one <laughs> coming i can't wait to see what the other one is um and you know if you don't have those really kind of simple physiological needs in place you're never going to be thinking about, you know, where your next meal might be coming from or, you know, what, how much money you have in your pocket. Um, that's as simple. That's pretty much as you how far you're going to be thinking. But when you are able or when you are in a stable environment and you're at a place, especially where you feel safe, I think safety has a lot to do with being able to kind of like go out and explore the world and, um, you know, then it's like, okay, what, what, what's meaning to me? Like, what do I want to do to fulfill my life? And so I kind of sort of, you know, see the fact that, yeah, it is a lot of blame on the individuals. But I'm thinking even in recovery to have a certain amount of happiness or a lot, a, a certain amount of kind of like, you know, doing your recovery properly and everything like that. Um, when actually in a lot of people's um, lives, it's, you know so much other stuff needs to be sorted first and that's absolutely fine that's mm. what needs to be done he talks about um a way to improve meaning in life is to hold on guys it's a bit it's a bit out there <laughs> but um write your eulogy so that's like when you die um people write something about you so to write your own eulogy on a i don't know if it's a yearly basis i don't know how often but that way, you you know that you're doing everything you do, you know why you're doing it and you want to be remembered for it. So that's one technique he suggests. But it's quite morbid. It's quite um, sad. Not sad, but you know what I mean? Like thinking about death and what, how you'll be remembered. Reminds me of Bob's um, death meditation we do on the, the anxiety day on the psychology course. That's not more, that's kind of a set of questions, isn't it, about how you'd feel if you were just about to die rather than your eulogy. It's the same thing, yeah. Kind of reminded me of a book I read, um, Letters with Maury, and he was dying and he, would, he wanted to hear, he thought what was the point in everyone saying all these nice, wonderful things about him when he's dead and he wouldn't know about it. So he actually held his funeral, his, his live funeral at home and let people you know, people said all really lovely things about him and he really enjoyed that moment because, yeah, so that kind of reminds me, reminded me of that. And that was a true story, actually. So that actually yeah. did happen. So, yeah, and that was, that's what that eulogy thing kind of reminded me of, of that, doing that, because he had the opportunity, he knew he was dying and he wanted to 
know what people thought about him. I'm surprised people indulged him. Oh, they did. Very much so. <laughs> did they know he was actually still alive or did he like go to his own funeral but in disguise and pretend he was dead? Yeah, that would have been dark. I thought it just kind of reminded, reminded me of that. Although he didn't write his own, people wrote for him so that he, he was present at his funeral. I mean, it's a strange one. That's lovely. I don't think it's like indulging him, is it? I mean, you want to say if you love someone and you're going to miss them, tell them that you're going to miss them and tell them why you're going yeah. to miss them. Yeah. You know, rather than to a box. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's to what... everyone else. It's like making a Facebook post to someone that's already dead or something, and you're, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it to show everyone else. Mm. At least when someone's alive and you're doing it, it's, you know, it's real. You're actually, you know those emotions and those feelings that are kind of real and you're getting it to someone that will appreciate the last days of their life or something. Mm. And when you touched on another technique, Heather, about kind of telling people what you're grateful for in them. So yeah, that kind of, that's you do that more about life and that's like a nice thing to do, isn't it? Just just saying thank you for being so kind or so um, considerate. And I think, yeah, I think they do that in, AA as well is that like the gratitude um gratitude list is something that fellowships do um and I think even smart do I think it's like a it's a it's a psychological trick that you play with your brain which I I mean I can sit say a cup of coffee in the morning makes me happy like for years and years and years I was the most depressed miserable person ever and um everything was shit you know um and the fact of like having to write down look at my day and like well what was the what was the good thing about it what was what was the most what, what happened that was positive what happened that was nice and so you're already thinking nice things about what happened to yourself rather than looking at all the shit things so you're totally tricking yourself into doing it and you do that every day then you start to go through the day recognizing what is actually nice that's happened to you and, and what you can actually appreciate so you're, you're tricking yourself into thinking uh more positively than than you would do normally than i would do would have done normally like reframing your thoughts so it's like you're so used to just going um i'm sure we all are but you know when you're so used to just going straight to the negative like you, you you're just like there in it there's no positive about it. it's just negative doing something like that just retrains you to start noticing the positive fine so it's kind of like a gradual exercise yeah. is it quite yeah okay it's basically like this is one of those things I've always been really intrigued by. And it's a bit like we were saying with the gym, like I've thought about doing it a lot, but I don't think that counts because I think it literally does like start to train your brain. I think you start to build like neural pathways. Mm. So that is, you know, it's that kind of um, conscious competence model. Like, you know, in the, in the beginning you start and you realize like, what is it? Unconscious incompetence. You don't know until you start doing it. And then conscious incompetence, like you realize that maybe you are not very, doesn't come naturally to you because you're more kind of a half glass full and then you have to go through that gratitude list and you start doing it so you kind of consciously become competent at looking for what's going well and what you're grateful for and then I think you know the science goes and I do believe this that I think eventually like you know you've built enough kind of neural pathways in your brain that it becomes a habit that you start to do without even thinking about it mm. so it's an unconscious uh, unconscious competence kind of mode I think it's really interesting that I've never got around to doing it. Definitely. I really like that idea, actually, um, of writing down positive things. Because, you know, I just think all of us, human beings in general, are just kind of quite, you know, susceptible to think of the negative. But I really like that idea of training your brain to start noticing kind of positive things. It's really simple, simple exercise. It doesn't have to be these massive, big gratitudes. But just things like... I had my cup of tea this morning um, and I was looking out the window and there's a beautiful sunrise. Do you know what I mean? Instead of just forgetting it, it doesn't have to be this huge thing. And yeah, I think there's something really in that. I mean, research says that it increases your physical health, your generosity and also your happiness. So mm. apparently mm. it works. It's just trying to get, yeah, just trying to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
So that's PERMA, that's how we can improve our happiness. But I guess the big question is, why do you always want to be happy? I think that's what lots of people are thinking, like, are you just being too, too merry, too cheery? And research says, or research says that it improves your life expectancy. So you live a lot longer. You have a stronger immune system. So hopefully you'll be fighting COVID-19 at the current time. You're more creative and productive. You have better relationships. Apparently you have less sick leave, which relates to your immunity. And you're more likely to be promoted in whatever you're doing, whether that be work or volunteering. Yeah. So apparently there are lots of advantages to being happy. And it's not just kind of that annoying person that's always smiling. I mean, I guess it's that thing of, yeah, you know, you, you can't possibly be happy all the time. It's, it isn't possible and to even expect that. And that, you know, and it's okay. And I guess, you, you know, to be not so much happy that the fact that you might, might be miserable, but, you know, being okay with, with that, with those kind of changing of feelings and, and appreciating it when you are happy, but also knowing that when you're not, that that's going to pass, you know, it's a it's a kind of all transient isn't it mm. plus there's that whole like happiness trap you know like happiness is you know billion dollar industry where there are like self-help mm. books and life coaches and kind of you know motivational speakers and all that yeah they're making money out of that and I think mm-hmm. there's a book on this actually called happiness trap and it's interesting because they talk about how like this industry is just causing people to actually feel more and more unhappy because there's just a really unrealistic focus just on being positive all the time. And actually the reality, like, I feel like, again, there's this danger of kind of labeling emotions, good or bad or right or wrong. And like, I see emotions as like, said this before, like keys on a keyboard. And, you know, we, we could and we should, and we can have access to all of those keys on that keyboard as part of being a human being. But I feel like, you know, we're either kind of like just operating on a few keys because of our life, experiences and circumstances or we're trying to kind of like expand the other keys and uh, like the happiness ones and like thinking that anger is bad or thinking that being sad is bad and actually like there are really shit things that happen that we should be really angry about and there's stuff that we should we should be sad about um you know it just becomes like too much of a focus on like be happy be happy be happy yeah and that's one of the kind of critiques of this happiness investigating happiness is because some people say that it actually makes you more narcissistic so it makes you think about yourself too too much or you become you think you focus on your emotions so much you forget about kind of other people or maybe yeah it's increasing narcissism but I love that Megano because I'm on Instagram and one of the reasons I hate Instagram is because it's a load of people who are just interested in their own happiness. I mean, I know they're just photos and it's social media, and, but it's, it's a reflection of what we were just talking about, like the happiness trap, the idea that, you know, ugh, you, feel, you feel like you're always trying to achieve some kind of like level of perfection in your life or like, you know, what, you know, perfect kind of, family set up or perfect house and all of this um but also just being perfect on the inside um so you know that doesn't exist um and I completely lost my train of thought I was actually going somewhere with that um sounded good yeah yeah it was going good yeah sorry listeners um can I I just maybe pick up because I was thinking again about like how this ties to what we talked about before in podcast whatever it was about individualism and narcissism because again yeah you're totally right and I'm glad that that is one of the critiques because it feels like there is this focus on me and my needs and getting my needs met and this is this this person that I've kind of listened to a few interviews of and one of the things he's always saying is just like there are so many books like why in the bookshop or kind of you know online part of the store or whatever like there's a section for self-help more about helping others so again, even the notion of self-help is this idea of like, you do what you can to yourself, for yourself to get better in your life. It's just really individualized. It's really, yeah, just kind of, yeah. I think narcissistic is, is really great critique. Bob just said everything that I was going to say. You <laughs> <laughs> beat <Teamwork. laughs> I'm really joking. Yeah, we talked about what 
positiveness is, what happiness is. I guess I wanted to talk a bit about the history of positive psychology and why it started. Um, so it started because psychology was looking at negative subjects or looking at the disease model. So looking at um, depression or anxiety. And these are quite negative emotions, which are valid, but um, it's just quite negative research. So they wanted to focus more on the positive. So on emotions such as joy, um, happiness, um, resilience. So how do we improve, how do we move ourselves across the scale from anxiety to happiness? Well, I don't know if I like the, the word negative emotion. I think there's something in negative emotions which means it's just inherently bad and they're not because anxiety is emotion which is there, an emotion, a kind of a, what would you call it, a physiological response for something which we have inbuilt in our bodies to protect us from danger and alert us to kind of, you know, make us sure that kind of we get to safety if we're feeling uncomfortable so those feelings are all i think really really valid i think when they become um you know chronic that's when they need to be managed is when anxiety becomes maybe like an anxiety condition or it, or you're feeling anxiety a lot of the time disproportionately and so it feels like um yeah those emotions to me are kind of like things we need to stay alive it's just sometimes um, you know, for also all sorts of reasons, um, those emotions can become really hard to manage. Um, and so moving to a place where you are able to manage those emotions um, and you are able to move to a place where you are contented is uh, more around kind of looking inwards. I think um, work need, work, or just kind of like, you know, we're talking about individualism, but some amount of self-reflection needs to be done around anxiety and kind of why you are feeling kind of this disproportionate anxiety to leaving the house, for instance. Um, and so it's kind of that um, kind of looking inwards which is a necessary work because you need to kind of go to the shops and you need to kind of go out to go to appointments and everything like that um, and so it's that level of self-reflection I think which kind of leads you to the road of contentment instead of um, having these negative emotions which then you are able to change to positive emotions so I think we carry um, difficult feelings with us always um, it's just for a lot of reasons, people um, have, uh, yeah, can can struggle to manage, um, manage certain emotions. And um, yeah, I mean, once again, just flying the flag for um, psychology for change and feminism for change. But, you know, I, I did psychology for change and, um, you know, I, I genuinely had an anxiety um, condition. It was, it was awful. Um, and, you know, understanding that anxiety is, there for a reason it's actually a good thing just changed my outlook to the point where you know um i wasn't eaten up so much by um you know all by fear yeah so we've talked about perma we've talked about what positive psych the history of positive psychology um but i just i'm curious to find out your thoughts about positive psychology and happiness so what does the team think about positive psychology i think i think i mean we've touched on it throughout our conversations about kind of like where you are at the time to be able to like wholly appreciate the concept or or even be open to to certain things to do with it because i i for me personally when i was at my kind of like you know darkest um using lost loads of people and in grief and all that then that that wouldn't have been appropriate or 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 even appreciated or made me probably worse you know because if someone told me to fucking smile I would have just punched them or something you know so uh and the same kind of thing is that you know if you're kind of worried about either choosing between your last quid putting it on the meter or buying a pint of milk it kind of so again it's back to like you know the the, the, the Maslow's needs thing isn't it it's like you have to be at a certain place to be able to um be okay with looking at looking at that kind of thing as opposed to it being like too much um of an antithesis or 
too much of not been able to understand the concepts because it seems like from a parallel universe of privilege, you know. Um, but having said that, you know, from my, my journey of recovery, I, I, I can kind of like appreciate it now and I can see, see things of it that are, are really useful. But um, I guess, you know, it, it is where you are in your like ment mental health and and your place in in the world where where it can be kind of most appreciated or not and I guess it comes to like timing doesn't it yeah and, yeah. yeah I was going to say it's a bit like a courses that has to be at the right time and then yeah. I think perma or positive psychology happiness has to be at the right time um for the for everyone because you have to have the fundamentals there before you start thinking about meaning and those big concepts like that do you know what I find really interesting about positive psychology or kind of like what I really like about it is the mindfulness aspect. So, you know, I really like the idea of being able to notice emotions as and when they come up. Um, so, you know, when you are feeling like happy, like something good has happened, you know that that's happiness instead of just kind of like, you know, being really disconnected from kind of like feelings and emotions. I like the idea of, you know, noticing that you're in anxiety. Like, I think there's kind of a thing around um, um, kind of awareness of feelings that I, I've, you know, I'm always kind of quite a, a fan of. Um, specifically, like trying to um, kind of teach yourself to notice feelings is, is really, really difficult um, when you're using or even when you're um, kind of like in early recovery even kind of a while after that like noticing understanding your feelings is really difficult so I quite like the mindfulness aspect of yeah being able to pinpoint emotions yeah I think I'm kind of like Heather and Bex and I think you have you know just a time when you can sort of feel like that I feel like myself I'm in a place where I'm really mindful of when I, of my emotions, when I'm feeling happy or when I'm feeling scared or anxious or sad. And I'm really aware of that. And there was a time when that was, uh, I would make myself feel bad for feeling not happy enough or feeling too bad and stuff like that. But at the now I think, and one of the tricks of the trade I learned in the PFC, which was the next, and it was going meta from stuff which is sort of coming out of and looking at something from above kind of thing. And I've kind of always used that, not easily sometimes, but I'm in a really much stable place now where my emotions don't scare me and it's okay to be sad and anxious and happy, but I really notice when I'm happy and I'm ha most happiest when I'm just content. And I think what, what Bob said earlier when Worries are there, but they're not like, you know, laying on top of me and I just feel a nice zen contentment. I was, I was kind of thinking that actually, although worries are awful, but if we didn't have them and we we're always happy all the time, we wouldn't appreciate normal happiness. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And so you get used to, if you, if life wasn't rocky and you didn't have worries and all these challenges you wouldn't appreciate or have happiness. I wanted to should put a pencil in my mouth as I'm talking. Yeah. When we started, like I really, I really wanted to love positive psychology. I really wanted to like it. And I find it really frustrating because it feels a bit like it's this wonderful thing for middle class people. You know, and we you know we've kind of talked about this already, but I just feel like um yeah, like if you've got the headspace to think about this stuff, if you've got the headspace to think about meaning, if you've got the money to kind of like, you know, mean that you can pursue new hobbies and things like that. I think that, yeah, it just it just kind of feels a bit exclusive. And I find that a bit difficult. And I also kind of, you know, my, my, my fair side is like I get where it came from. Like I get that because I studied psychology myself. And I remember when I was studying psychology, like just being really frustrated that the focus was on the kind of um you know what's wrong rather than kind of what could be going right for a person so I, I get that like what I think positive psychology was intending to do was to balance that out a little bit 
But again, my difficulty is that there's still then these two camps where there's the kind of like, yeah, the happy kind of positive psychology camp. And then there's the other one, which is the kind of like, I mean, it was actually called, I don't know if it's still called that, but like abnormal psychology. Um, you know, and even just the word itself is just really just so problematic. And I guess like in my kind of idealized kind of world, like I would love psychology just to be psychology where like all emotions are kind of appreciated and valued and given importance and, and, we would need to have these kind of separation of these two camps of psychology. So, so I kind of get it is what I'm saying, but I feel frustrated by it. And you kind of raise a good point that actually is kind of, I guess it's a middle-class kind of theory. And um, that's another one of the critiques is that actually the research and the evidence or this evidence base has come from a weird sample. So this the people that are Westernly, they think Westernly, they're educated, they're um, rich, they've been ind industrialized, and they're democratic. Mm. So these aren't, this isn't. <laughs> wow, so that's a nice weird. Yeah, so the Westernized, educated, industrialized, industrialized, and democratic. Brilliant. Wow. So I guess this is not everyone, it's not your Joe Bloggs, it's, it's that particular type of person. So maybe it works for them and maybe you can appreciate it for them. But um, yeah, I guess everyone's kind of saying maybe it's not for, um, for everyone. We need to oh. it O and then we can start calling people weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio, what were you thinking? It's trying to like talk when the roof is, feels like it's caving in in this place. I was, I was just thinking um, that happiness um, is different for everyone. So even though you have this set of rules of how to um, kind of achieve it, like who says what happiness is for individual people, it might be something big and grand and takes a lot to achieve, or it might be literally someone that buys a kettle so they can make a hot drink in the morning. Um, so I think yeah, it's completely different for a lot of people. Yeah, I think we've yeah, critiqued positive psychology enough um, today. And I think we're kind of saying it's not for everyone. We're all different. Um, but yeah, so thank you, everyone. It's um, for weirdos. It's only for weirdos. Can I just say to, to anybody listening, this is Ricardo's first ever podcast. She's only been with us like an equal amount of time. So like, honestly, round of applause to Ricardo. Yeah, he turned brilliantly. <laughs> oh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.